you would turn with me, if you have a, a Bible with you, or a Bible from under the chair in front of you, or on the screen, but I'd like to have us turn to uh, the book of Titus. Um, we've come through this Advent season, and within our church's calendar year, we find ourselves in this very short window of time called Christmas. And, uh, and so sometimes it can be really challenging because, yeah, we can, we can think about a Christmas or a New Year's Eve theme or obviously thinking about towards the future, but um, I've never, never preached from the book of Titus, and that was one of the lectionary readings in our church calendar year uh, for this particular Sunday. And so I thought, ah, it'll, be a, it'll be a good challenge. Um, so... Uh, let's look at let's, let's look at uh, Titus chapter three, and uh, in the bulletin it said we're going to we're going to focus on verses four through eight, but I'd like to have us begin at at verse three here, beginning at verse three. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah. So when I looked at this particular passage um, yeah, I kind of went, hmm. And what I began to reflect on and think about was Paul's words to Titus uh, began to remind me of one of our Advent themes, the, the one of preparation. And so in that, that, that reflecting on the word preparation, uh, am I prepared? Am I, pre was I, am I prepared for today? Uh, uh, am I prepared for the return of the Messiah? Am I prepared to love and serve others? Prepared to be sensitive to how the Spirit may direct a meeting and me talking with somebody about who Christ is? Am I prepared to lead? And, and, and again, some of those thoughts were of things from in the past, but in the present, but also looking to the future. Am I, am I prepared for 2024? And I have to be vulnerable and honest with you. At a lot of times, I don't feel prepared. And I don't know, maybe some of you feel like that too. Unprepared for the calling that's at hand. Rather than being ready at any moment to do good, uh, according to what Paul is is telling us in verse 8, I, I become so absorbed in some of my own agendas and, and I miss out on divine opportunities. 
and so I just want to encourage us to think about how we prepare ourselves to be ready. What is Paul talking about here? I think it's, it's something also along the line upon which uh, the Apostle Peter wrote in, in, in his letter, in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, where he, he tells us that we have to be thinking about Christ. We have to revere Christ as Lord. And we always have to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us for the reason, to give a reason for the hope that we have. And, and to do that with gentleness and respect. How do we witness? How do we share who Christ is to us in, in our lives, in our context? Because we all could, if, if we had time, we could all share different aspects of Christ's relationship and how we've seen the work of God in our lives and how he's directed our paths and, and led us in some directions and then changed some things and moved us over here and, and, and we, we found community here and then we find community over here and we all have different aspects of Christ's story in our life. But are we ready? Are we prepared? And so as I think about 2024, how do I prepare myself to do good works? To do good. How do you prepare yourself to do good? If I were the Apostle Paul, I would have probably put a parenthesis there somewhere in this text, and, and I would have immediately listed a number of practical things to do. Because that's how we operate, right? We get our pencil out, and we, we make a list. We set some goals. We do some things. And, and I think Paul might have said something like, hey, why don't you try to free up more of your time? Good one. Free up time. How about if you set aside some money? Set aside some money, good point. How about if you considered volunteering for a particular ministry or maybe a mission opportunity? That, that would be good. That's kind of what I think maybe I would have done if I were Paul, but Paul does something different. He goes a little bit deeper. He goes to a deeper level here, uh, level and reflects on the inner components that, that must combine to make a person prepared for doing good. These attitudes, if you will, are the soil out of which a prepared life grows. And so first, the Christian never forgets the life from which he or she has been rescued. The Christian never forgets the life from which he or she has been rescued. Paul reflects on, on life before Christ, and, and he talked about that in verse 3. At one time, I was foolish. I was disobedient. I, I deceived and enslaved. I was enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. That's, that's part of my story. Maybe it's part of yours. He says we've lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. We find it so easy to find fault. And to point a finger. That was my life before Christ. And, and Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 said that in such a condition, I was an object of God's wrath. Not only, not only were we unprepared to do genuine good, 
we were, we were predisposed to just doing evil. And in our fallen state, our entire life is orientated around self. And so we generate that, that sense of self. I'm, this is, every, every little aspect of the world revolves around me. Not good works. Not thinking about others, but about my selfishness. And this is not to say that as unbelievers we, we were evil as we could be. But it does mean that self was the center of life and not the things of God. In, in one of Tim Keller's books, uh, he, he wrote down, not, not many of us are Attila the Hun or Adolf Hitler, but it's not for a lack of potential. That's, that's the life that we've been rescued from. Because this is the good news. This is the good news. It's from this life that we have been rescued. So therefore, we must always look back on that previous life with gratitude and humility that we've been saved from it. We've been saved from it. Knowing that by the grace of God, we would still be in that situation maybe. As one of the popular rock songs in the, in the, in the 70s and 80s rang out with, Highway to Hell, we're, we're on that fast track. And, and if not for the grace of God, we might still be there. And so it is this, this knowledge of our past that makes us painfully aware of maybe others around us that are still looking for that hope, still looking for that person, that direction, that, that little thing that's going to all of a sudden click, that all those self-help books just don't seem to be panning out and, and they continue to live in that perpetual state of uncertainty and trying to figure out who they are. They're left behind without hearing about the gospel. And so that's where you and I enter because we all operate in different circles. We have different friends and influences and, and we have the opportunity if we're prepared, if we're sensitive to sharing the good news, the gospel. And so we, remake, we make ourselves prepared by always remembering where we come from. We must always live with that humble acknowledgement that we too have been rescued and that's part of our story. And therefore, the smudges, the dirt, the, the yuckiness of our unkept soul, so to speak, takes us back to that moment when we realized that by God's grace, we've been given this, this new life, a, a clean slate. And we want to look for, for ways in which we can help others. We want to be prepared because we have been rescued and are keenly aware of those, those things that some have not escaped yet in this life. And obviously, we have no ground for pride. There's no ground for arrogance. There's no ground for prejudice or aloofness, rudeness, or unsociableness. Instead, we remember our original state and identify with sinners as those that have been rescued from corruption and death. This will give us a great sympathy with those that are still in jeopardy. It will prepare us to help reach out and I think about that as, as 
I have the opportunity to engage students again as, as we, you know, as students come in and out of our congregation to worship with us and, and we have different connecting points with students in our community. I think about that and I think about the picture in, in John chapter 13 where uh, Jesus is in that upper room with his disciples. Do you remember that, that story of the Last Supper? What did he do? Jesus was wanting to, to tell his disciples to be prepared to serve others. And so he kind of got up off the floor, took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist, went over and got that basin of water, and he started to wash their feet. He wanted them to see that he was taking the dirt, he was removing that dirt, that dust from their feet so that they would be prepared to help remove the dirt from the feet of others. The best motivator in serving others is to remember how maybe we have been served by God. Remember what God has done for you. And you're going to naturally be moved to, to think about others, to serve others, to come alongside of them. We aren't going to necessarily make all of their troubles go away or, or totally flip their life around like that. It, it could be a process, but we're one part of that story. We're part of that one moment in, in the history of their lives where something's different about you. What is that? relationship with Jesus Christ. Have, have you ever heard of him or have you ever, ever read the Bible? No, I haven't. Well, hey, I got some, I got some great opportunities for, for you and I to do that. Come to church with me or come to be a part of my small group or would you be, would you be willing to meet with me over coffee every now and then? So that first ingredient, that first component in being prepared to, to doing good is to never forget the life from which we have been rescued. The second thing is that the Christian marvels that God's grace has freely forgiven and transformed us. In verses 5 and 6, he saved us. He saved us not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You see, the Christian is prepared for a life of doing good, not only by remembering that, that past that we've been rescued from, but by marveling over the new position that, that we've been granted. It's one thing to be released from prison, but it's a, another thing to be elevated and put on a throne. Paul is reflecting on on the salvation that, that one, he had received, that he had been granted, but also is trying to remind his readers here that that salvation also was granted to them. This truth is so great that the gospel needs to be admired from a wide variety of angles in order to be fully appreciated. And so with each new day, we have that opportunity. We are, we are able to admire God's grace from a a new dimension, a deeper appreciation, a different perspective. Sometimes we see that in, in those very challenging relationships with which God brings us into, and those moments when all of a sudden there's a little, uh, just a little breakthrough. And it's like, yes, Lord, 
just a couple of things that came to mind. I, I marvel that God's grace towards us is totally unmerited, unearned. There's nothing that I could have done. It's a free gift. Yeah, maybe, maybe in some sense I, I could say I was privileged to have a mom and a dad who, who loved me and wanted the best for me and, and felt that it was important for me to go to Sunday school and to be involved in youth group and to study the Bible and to do those things in church when I didn't really feel like it. But they loved me. They, they set that foundation in place. And it's only but the grace of God. It's that free gift. And it's available for anybody. So much in life seems to depend, though, on what we do. My achievements, my abilities, my accomplishments. And that's one of the challenges that I face working within some of our athletic programs at Fair State University as a chaplain. You know... Sorry, Ken, I broke your mic. <laughs> Temporarily. It's just crazy sometimes to think about, you know, man, I didn't get that many touches on the ball. I need more touches on the ball. I need more minutes of playing time. I need this. I need that. I want my stat line to look good. I want to get to that next league, so I need to do these things. And it's all about me. And I have the opportunity to remind them that, no, it's not necessarily all about you because there is a God. I'm given opportunities to spend time in their, in their locker rooms and to bring, bring the word of God to them and to share the word of God with them and to talk about my relationship and what Christ has done in my life and, and what the truth of his word is all about. And I wish I could say, yeah, I'm going to baptize 16 basketball players and three football players and two volleyball players next spring. That's not my, that's not my doing. I, I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit works in the lives of, of some of these students. That I have an opportunity to spend 15, 20 minutes with, an hour with. Did you ever hear about this man who died and went to heaven? He met the angel, Gabriel, at the entrance, and uh, the angel said, okay, this is how this is going to work. Um, I'm going to uh, give, uh, give you points. You need 100 points to get into heaven, and so I'm going to give you a point for all the good things that you've done, and uh, we'll add them up here at the end, okay? So, okay, the man said. He said, I was married to the same woman for 50 years. Gabriel said, that's good. I'm going to give you two points. Two points? He said, I thought that would at least be 80 or 90. Nope, just two, Gabriel says, two, right here, two. What else have you done? Oh, well, um, I went to the same church for 75 years, and I tithed for 50 of those. Okay, he says, I'll give you a point for that. That's great. What else did you do? And the guy kind of, oh my goodness. The only rate at which I'm going to get into heaven is by God's grace. 97 points. <laughs> wow. 
welcome. Now, I don't know that it necessarily works that way, uh, where there's going to be a tally and, and Gabriel, you're going to have that conversation with Gabriel, but I do know that it's only by God's grace. There's nothing that you or I can do. It's not about my resume. The only thing important in that resume is that I'm a follower of Jesus, and that is something that has to come out. We have, if we have this news, we want to talk about it, even if we don't know how to talk about it. You can say, hey, <laughs> I, got a, I got a friend. Uh, Pastor Mike, would you be able to meet us? <laughs> Pastor Ken, would you be able to meet us? Brenda Rolls, can you meet with this student? Uh, Marilyn Schuin, can you meet with this student? Patrick Weiss, can, Greg Schuin, I can call people and say, hey, can you do this? Can you help me? We, we, all have, we have this network. One of the biggest hindrances to having a servant's heart is asking, what will I get out of this? By placing this condition upon service, we fail to mirror, mirror God's service to us, what he did for us, which is unconditional and free. So we shouldn't look for opportunities to serve that are going to bring us that personal gain, that, that sense of recognition. To emulate God, we serve unconditionally, desiring only to express God's grace in our life. Not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. Paul is reminding us. And second, we are marveled that this salvation is like a new birth. It totally changes us from the inside out. It's not just a, a makeover, a sprucing up, splashing on a little cologne or putting on a little perfume, getting our nails and toenails done. It's not just God touching us, but God is moving in. He's taking up residence in us. We become a new person. And that doesn't necessarily happen every time the same way with everybody. It's going to be a little bit of a process. We're going to be challenged. Satan is going to, he's not going to let go. He's going to always throw those things in front of us to distract us, to try to keep his, his hooks in us. But that's what the body of Christ is for, the, the community, the, the, the believers, those that we share in relationships with. We become a new person. Third, Paul says in verse, the latter part of verse 6 is that we, we get this gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. We're renew, with renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously. God wasn't stingy. He didn't say, oh, that's Mike Wissink. Uh, I'm going to, I'll give him this much. <laughs> Oh, that's Greg Schoen. I'm going to give him a lot. That's Lisa Volker. She, she, she deserves the whole pot. I mean, God gives us generously, every one of us. It doesn't matter. He's not up there keeping a score. It's not what we've done. He's given us generously, lavishly, abundantly the Holy Spirit. God does not hold back. I have so many favorite old hymns, but one of them that came to mind was that song, And Can It Be, And Can It Be, That I Should Gain an Interest in the Savior's Blood. Died he for me, who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me. 
The gospel is, is something that begins to captivate us. We become enamored by that, and, and, and it moves us then to want to share that. And we're, we're all gifted differently, so you don't have to be enthusiastic about it, like, hey, let's show you this great passage. Let me. No, we don't have to have all the kind of cool catchphrases and everything. Just be who God created you to be. Tell your story. Share that moment that, that resonates with that connection. Just let them know how good God is, how powerful God is, how gracious God is. When its beauty captures you, you just simply want to share something with others, whether that's in word or deed. Maybe you just show up with a snow shovel, or maybe you show up with a rake, or maybe you show up with a plate of cookies and a card. Maybe you just pick up the phone and say, hey, for some reason I was thinking about you today and you were just in my thoughts and prayers. Or you text that. Just wanted to let you know. The last thing that, that as I look at this text is the Christian's new identity energizes and equips us to do good. Verse 7, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Being prepared to do good is fully grasping our new status or ident our identity as sons, as heirs, sons and daughters of, of God. Paul says that as a result of our justification, we have this hope of eternal life. We become heirs of his kingdom. And this is a metaphor that Paul uses to communicate a picture of, of privileged resources. Paul has in mind here an heir of royalty that is their disposal, your disposal, my disposal, this vast resources. The question is, how will we use those? How will we use those resources? Our new position, if you will. We are all like heirs that have been rescued and now appointed to serve others out of these resources. With our time, with our, our financial gifts, with um, our leading studies and, and or being on council or serving in our local community somehow, being available, volunteering. Paul also writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, he says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Looking ahead into 2024, can we find this encouragement to being prepared? Preparing to love and serve, being prepared to share our story of rescue and redemption, telling others about Christ and his impact in our lives. May we ask of God to keep our mind and the eyes of our heart fixed and focused on him remembering with gratitude the life that we have been rescued from and the life that we're called to live. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we marvel 
at your wonderful grace that has rescued us from a life of selfishness and despair. Help us to always to look upon the lost in this world, not as a threat, but as an opportunity, not as a project, but as a relationship, a friend, a new acquaintance. May we always be prepared to, to do good as a way of expressing what you have done for us. Might we fully grasp our identity as your children, heirs, and use the resources that you've given us to bless others. In your name we pray, amen.